thing that was interesting, um, I, I'm a theater guy, an arts person, and so I'm inclined to sell, uh, to fundraise based on the based on what the arts do for a community, quality of life, you know, education. That didn't resonate in Worcester. Nobody cared. What everybody cared about was downtown. We're going to bring 200,000 people to the downtown and help turn the downtown around. That was the message that resonated, and that was the dream that that got everyone on board. So you took an economic approach to the local businesses to raise money. Very much so. Welcome to the Founder's Story Podcast, where we learn from entrepreneurs about their journey from their first inspiration to their first employee, and even the steps they took to become the powerhouses they are today. Welcome back to another podcast episode, everyone. My name is Rick Porter. I am your host, and I am joined by Troy Siebels from the Hanover Theater. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. So we talked a little bit before the show that the founder story, that's exactly what we're here to do is hear the story, the founding story of so many of these local businesses. Uh, and the Hanover Theater happens to be a favorite of mine. Um, as you know, we we visit quite a few. I have my kids, my wife. It's, I think it's a, a fantastic part of the community. And I love what you guys have done with the theater. Uh, I'm actually really excited to hear the story of how it all started. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to you. You want to start off wherever you would like. Take us back in time to to the founding of this. Sure. Well, I'll go. I'll go all the way back but, and make it quick. How about sure. that? <laughs> so the theater itself, um, the architect Thomas Lamb was one of the one of the country's most preeminent theater architects. Uh, he built this theater in 1926. There was actually a smaller theater there that goes all the way back to 1902. Uh, but the theater as it stands today was built in 1926. It was very ornate. It was it was a it was. A, called Poli's Palace from Sylvester Poli, who owned it and a string of other movie palaces. Uh, and it, it operated uh, until the 40s uh, when it, it they started, they changed their programming, they got rid of anything live and really just focused entirely on movies. In the 60s, uh, it started to, um, uh, it was purchased by Showcase Cinemas and they, they chopped it up. They got rid of a lot of the original historic uh, detail uh, such a shame to look at it today. They, you know, they, they cut off the balcony and made a separate screen up there, and they put a wall down the middle downstairs to make two theaters and, uh, and operated like that until the 90s when Showcase North opened in Worcester and they closed. And so it was boarded up then for about 10 years. Uh, and then in, um, in 2002, uh, two Worcester businessmen, uh, Ed Medaus and Paul DeMoga, just had this idea standing across the street from it about bringing it back to its 1926 glory. Uh, and they they undertook some fundraising. They undertook some planning. I was one of the first uh, things they did. I came on board in about 2004. Um, and I was the first and only employee for three years at that point. <laughs> uh, and, and it was about putting together a business plan. And we found some really exciting things. We found that Worcester was the biggest market in the country where you couldn't go see a Broadway show. You couldn't go see a touring production. Of in a the Broadway country. Show. In the country. Wow. That's right. Um, and in fact, even in New England, there are a lot of smaller cities, uh, certainly Providence and Hartford, which are slightly smaller, but both capital cities, you know, they had theaters where you could see tours, but also Concord, New Hampshire, Portsmouth. I mean, there were other places in New England that are significantly smaller. 
Um, and Worcester, you know, has operated as a shadow of Boston with respect to this industry. And so people would drive into Boston and see something. Uh, although once we opened, we found that they, they didn't really. What we found was that they didn't go at all. It was really a new audience. Sure. Yeah. Now, so, yeah. if you can, tell those first three years, you were the only employee. You, you know, obviously it sounds like you were putting together business plans. What did, what did your day look like every single day for those first three years? Uh, I, I drove in from Medford, north of Boston, because I wasn't sure this was even going to happen, right? <laughs> it was an idea uh, at first. Uh, and it was mostly about fundraising, of course. You know, the, the cost of the project, you know, th- they, started, they thought it would be a $15 million rehab, and it turned out to be a $32 million rehab of the theater. Uh, and, and I think that just the further we got into it, the more... Uh, more it became clear it was a bigger project than anybody thought it was going to be. So that fundraising, uh, a big piece of it was that uh, we were, being in a downtown census tract, we were eligible for new markets tax credit financing and historic rehabilitation tax credit financing. By the time we were finished, um, a little more than half of that of that money, $17 million, was funded through selling, being eligible for earning and selling tax credits. Wow. Businesses, huge, yeah. The other half was fundraising, and we took some debt on. Uh, you know, the fundraising piece, we started with uh, the Worcester Family Foundations, stepped up and, and committed, a, uh, among them, uh, $3 million all in all. And there were sort of trigger points along the way. Um, when Hanover Insurance, uh, through Fred Eppinger, got interested in the project and got on board, you know, his commitment to the project and his commitment for the naming rights um, triggered you know, more companies would look at it seriously now. I think it was a pipe dream prior to that. And he sort of legitimized it, right? So it made it a lot more possible to go look for support. Um, and, and then uh, Mary DeFutis was an individual who contributed a million dollars early on. And she, we call her the first lady to Hanover Theater. Now, you know, she opened the door for us. Uh, it, so her, it wasn't just, just the million dollars. It was the a, a, a sort of the right to go uh, look to the philanthropic community and say, we're a, we're a going concern. We're looking for your support. Absolutely. You know, one thing that was interesting, um, I, I'm a theater guy, an arts person, and so I'm inclined to sell, uh, to fundraise based on the, based on what the arts do for a community, quality of life, you know, education. That didn't resonate in Worcester. Nobody cared. What everybody cared about was downtown. We're going to bring 200,000 people to the downtown and help turn the downtown around. That was the message that resonated, and that was the dream that that got everyone on board. So you took an economic approach to the local businesses to raise money. Very much so. And and it obviously was successful because you guys successfully raised the money. Like you said, you took on some debt. Um, And tell us a little bit about what was done to the theater as far as the construction or reconstruction. Yeah, well, as I said, it had been chopped up into smaller spaces, so... uh, a lot of the um, the interior walls and things that had been added in the 60s were removed. Uh, and then we found that some of the historic detail was still there behind the ugly perforated <laughs> aluminum walls. Uh, a lot of it had been had been torn out and destroyed. We, uh, we opened up the orchestra pit, you know, where the, where the orchestra sits in front of the stage. And uh, they had they had taken a lot of the historic detail and thrown it all in the pit and slabbed it over <laughs> in the 60s when they did the construction. So we, we found that mess. It, it, yeah, it was really, uh, it was a mess. We did a full res- restoration, you know, the, a full restoration. There are always things that you would do if you had more money, but 
uh, you know, for our, uh, we, we were not able to recreate, for instance, the mural, the original mural that was painted above the proscenium in the theater okay. itself. And there were some sculpted swans on the boxes, you know. There were a few things that we could not afford to do, but we did the lion's share of it. We did the scagliola is what they call the, the treatment of the walls in the, the marbling treatment in the lobbies and the, uh, the, the dome, the great dome in the theater is all dimensional plaster work that's all old, old world uh, Italian plasterers do this work by hand. It's all by hand. Wow. And they would find uh, instances where there was plaster falling, but that same detail exists over there. So they would take a mold of it over there and then replace it over here. And, uh, and it was fascinating work to watch. Now, what did your role look like during that construction process? Did, were you heavily involved in the coordination of all of that, or were you guys able to bring someone in to manage that process? We brought in Worcester Business Development Corporation. Yep. Came, they really ran the construction piece of it. That was not my expertise at all. Um, I did some work with the architect, which was Lamaro Pagano Associates, uh, just to help them understand things that a theater was going to need that an architect wouldn't necessarily know. Sure. The, the operational side, where do you, you know, what is the, you need a way for the house manager to talk to the stage manager backstage, so you need, you know, wiring over here yeah. for this, those kinds of things. Um, and, and then, um, so my role, apart from that, was really the funding, the business plan and the funding. I, um, I went to um, Indianapolis for a week to learn how to uh, learn about new markets tax credits. Sure. You know, I'm a theater person. I, didn't, I was not born <laughs> knowing about tax credits, but you do what you got to do, right? You Absolutely. Find a way, to, you, you learn it, and you make it happen. And you guys did an, an amazing job. It, it looks absolutely amazing when you go in there. I think it's very, very, very impressive for anyone who's ever visited, visited the Hanover Theater. Um, so construction happens, or reconstruction happens. We get it all done. I'm assuming it, at some point you're no longer the first employee. When did that happen, and what was that first role that, that you brought aboard? We brought in someone as an assistant to me, Megan Montaner now. She was unmarried. She was Megan Patrick then. Um, she came in as an executive assistant in June, I think, 20, 2007. We opened in, in March 2008, so a little less than a year earlier. And then that fall we brought in Elisa in marketing and Nell in, in development to help with fundraising. We brought in a ticketing person. We brought in a production person. And, and by the time we got to March 2008 in the opening of the theater, we had eight of us uh, as a core full-time staff, and then we, we brought in part-time folks to help run the box office and backstage. Sure. Now, your background, you said, was theater. As uh, When you came in and you, you now have this beautiful theater to run and you're bringing on these new employees, I mean, you're founding that theater all over again, right, from scratch. Now, how much of that were you able to bring in the knowledge from previous theaters that you've worked at, like let's say in the ticketing system and the box office and stuff like that, versus you know, a whole new world. You guys are, you guys are not local town theater only, right? Um, it's, yep. you're bringing in Broadway shows and, That's right. and, and how, how easy was that transition to work with Broadway shows or did you have that experience? I did not come in with that experience. I, um, I, I, my background is in regional producing professional theater, like the American Repertory Theater, Huntington Theater, you know, resident companies. That's where I come sure. from. Um, so uh, being a roadhouse, a show where most of the uh, theater where most of the shows come in on tractor trailers from New York and, and run for a week and then roll away again, that was new to me. But it's all about partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. we, we met with several, um, several organizations that help with those kinds of bookings around the country, and we ended up doing a 50-50 doing a partnership with 
Providence Performing Arts Center. Okay. Um, aside from being a performing arts center, they they run a company that books in other books Broadway specifically in other theaters around the country. And so our Broadway series continues to this day to be a fifty fifty venture with them. Uh, and people think that means the shows go there and then here. It doesn't necessarily. Sometimes that happens, but it, it means that they work with us to get the shows here, and then they take the risk and the upside and downside with us, fifty fifty on all of them. No kidding. I did not know that actually. So. Booking the shows, you, you, you started with partnerships and you started to get in some of these big names. Um, how did your audience start? I, I assume, did you open the doors and, and the floods of floodgates open and the audience started coming in? Or was that a struggle to build the audience and awareness? No, you know what? We were really successful, more successful than we, than we knew we were going to be. Um, we, uh, there was clearly a need. There was clearly a need and an opportunity here. Uh, you know, I talked about being the, the biggest uh, market where you couldn't go see a touring Broadway show. But uh, the concerts, the comedy, the family shows, there was an audience for almost everything we did. We, sh- we, we, had, we had some misses, but, <laughs> but for the most part, um, it, we were really fortunate. You know, what, um, when we first opened the doors, there was so much buzz around the theater being the new thing in downtown. And there's so much pride in Worcester. You know, people want that downtown to succeed as much as they, they talk ill about it, you know, and then they, <laughs> then they go home and they really want it to succeed. So, um, there was an audience there, uh, and we, um, we had to try to build, um, consistency and trust a subscriber base. You know, the, the Broadway series works because we have 3,400 right now, people that have bought tickets to every Broadway show. Yep. That's the, that's what really drives it. That's what makes it work. Now, before I move on, I got to ask, do you know what the most successful show or, or series that you ever brought in there was? Yes. Um, there are several, depending on how you measure it, number of people, number of dollars. Jersey Boys was a big one for us. Les Mis, the Les Mis tour was once. Um, the biggest year for Christmas Carol um, has it right in there. We do our own production of A Christmas yeah. Carol locally, and it's uh, its high year was 2012, I think, or 13. Um, and uh, and so it's right in the running there. Yep, and and that one you bring in local dance studios to participate, and it's a it's a big community event as well. That's right. That's we do our a Nutcracker um, with the dance studios, and we do a Christmas Carol, and we, it's uh, actors from Boston, from New York. We house a lot of the cast here. We rehearse it for three weeks, and we we run it, and it is on a scale with any of the Broadway tours. Yeah. We're very proud of it. I love it. And now you guys, you do a lot more than obviously just the shows, um, specifically the conservatory. Um, that's something that's, that's fairly recent. How long has the conservatory been around? Uh, four, four, four and a half years. Sure. So we had offered youth programs back from our opening in 2008. Even that first year, we did a summer youth program, which uh, brings together, I think it was 40 kids, and they, they worked together for three weeks and put together a musical, yeah. right? And so we... Megan Patrick, who was our executive assistant at the very beginning, transitioned into through a whole bunch of roles, but they always included education. Uh, yeah, that was her passion, and now we've finally grown to the point several years ago where she f- concentrates fully on education now, um, and she really uh, has been the driving force in building that. That summer program was so popular, it got to the point where the registration for it would fill up during the February break within sixty seconds. Wow. Um, 
yeah, it would be like, refresh your browser, go, go, go. <laughs> uh, and, and that was one of the reasons why it became clear to us there was so much need and demand there for this kind of education that we opened the conservatory. Yeah, We opened with um, 35 different classes and 75 students, and today we have 500 students across about 80 classes in, in dance, theater, and technical theater. That was fantastic. My daughter was one of them, actually. Uh-huh. She, yeah, she was part of the program as well. And now... Nowadays, with the challenges that we're facing, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, you guys even have online classes. Is that correct? We do. The conservatory, thankfully, um, has has um, continued operating right through the pandemic. We went to virtual classes in the spring, and then starting this last fall, we went to a hybrid format where the, some of the kids attend in person, and they are socially distanced, and the studios are, are cleaned uh, every hour between classes and uh, we're masked. And then some of the students attend virtually. Gotcha. And so so I think, you know, when we look at the history of you guys, you know, you, you started off with a seemingly impossible task to, to raise that amount of money, about 15 at the time, ended up being 32. And, and it was a huge undertaking. And then you, through partnerships you form here, you start bringing in these great shows um, and the audience responds and that's fantastic. And I think we've seen, in my opinion at least, we've, every year the shows seem to get better and better and better and then the global pandemic hits. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about how that went for you at first. It, uh, that first, you know... I think the saving grace is that we didn't know how bad it was going to be okay. day one, <laughs> right? If we <laughs> would have thrown in the towel on day well, one, if you knew. <laughs> honestly, uh, yeah. We, I think a lot of our industry would have. Yeah. It has been decimating to the, the live performing arts industry, the theater industry. I mean, the very what we are, what we do, and w- our value is bringing people together for a live performance. Yeah. It's sort of the, the exact thing that we're trying to avoid now that we're in a pandemic is bringing people together, having a live performer singing on stage, pointed at the audience. I mean, it, we will not, we will be the last to return. Uh, and because of the scale and nature of the shows that come in, we need to hit 50%, excuse me, 70% capacity just to break even on most of those tours. So, so we can't really reopen until we can go to full capacity. And I rem- I remember reading that just recently that, that you're allowed to be at 50% capacity, but you're not going to get shows back That's until right. you're almost at a hundred percent. That's right. We, we can do some things. We're going to host some dance recitals in June, our own uh, youth education programs can go back to live performances now with a with a 500 person audience that's spread out throughout the theater, but to, for the for the real performances, uh, the the Jerry Seinfelds, the Ricky Durans, and certainly the Broadway shows, they won't they won't come. It just uh, the numbers don't work until we can be at full capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think the the revenue number that I saw was almost five million dollars loss in revenue. Well, uh, gross revenue was more than that. We we are about ten million dollars a year. So you know, it, it, by the time we're closed for a year and a half, it'll be somewhere around fifteen million. The five million is a net, um, gotcha. is a net number, and it is as low as it is because a lot of our team are on furlough or or laid off. Um, we over the course of the spring. Um, Last year did some early fundraising. We didn't know how bad it would be. We thought we might be closed for a month, two months, four months. Um, and the community really stepped up. Sure. Uh, and we also had, uh, we had just completed a capital campaign. And we went back to those donors and said, hey, w- with your permission, we'd like to repurpose your donations. You gave for this, but we want to be around to do that. Yeah, exactly. So will you allow us? And then they did. And so those things kept us alive um, 
through the summer. And then in the fall, we had uh, a, a couple more donors step forward in a, in a bigger way and really helped to get us, um, to get us through. Uh, there were some federal dollars, the, the Paycheck Protection Program loans uh, helped us keep some staff on board uh, in the late summer, early fall. Uh, so we've, we've cobbled it together piece by piece, but our industry, uh, you know, not not all of the theaters like us are going to make it through this. Yeah, that's a sad part of it as well. Yeah. yeah. So as we look to the future, you guys were also in the midst of some pretty big plans with the outdoor seating area and the outdoor theater. Tell us a little bit about that, because I believe it's still coming. It is. When it is. we're not probably sure at this point. Well, it's actually started to move ahead again. So the city made a commitment to build uh, a new outdoor pedestrian plaza on our doorstep. There, there was a, a little plaza out there before, you know, in that little triangle formed between <laughs> Southbridge and Main Street. Um, but they've rerouted Southbridge Street now so that it creates essentially a, a, a front porch, a plaza in front of the theater. Um, and they um, did the initial construction already, which is rerouting the street. And then uh, the things slowed down. So they have not, uh, just recently they've finished uh, the drawings and they've sent them out to bid. So they will start construction in the next several months uh, and finish the bulk of the construction in 2020. 21 uh, with the last of it probably to happen in spring 22 but it, it's going to be a beautiful outdoor space trees uh, planting beds and an outdoor stage a small round outdoor stage where we can do some free programming and really try to create a space that is vital and vibrant you know as many days of the year as you want to be outside in New England yeah and that, that's exactly the the feeling that I got when I first saw some drawings of it and things like that. I, I think there was talk of maybe live music before a show and stuff like that. So you're, you're not just going to dinner and, and showing up for the show. You might go to dinner and you may hang out outside and enjoy the community. And like you said, bring everybody together and gather before they go in for the show. Yep. Um, that's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. So tell us a little bit. We do have some upcoming shows scheduled. Tell me a little bit about the shows that we do have scheduled right now. Uh, we are looking to the fall. We have uh, Ricky Duran, you know, uh, the runner-up on The Voice, the Grafton native. Um, he's, his was uh, scheduled last spring. It's one of the shows that we, we had to postpone, and now we've postponed it three times, and sure. he's scheduled in, in September. Uh, and right now, it's looking like he may be our first show back, and I kind of love that. I kind of like the way that Except feels. I already gave away my tickets to his oh. show, so he, one of, I have a colleague going instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, so there, for some people that he was close to sold out, but there were people who uh, who got refunds on the ticket when the uh, when the pandemic started. So we, we can try to help you with that. But um, but I, I kind of love the idea that it's a local I, yeah, guy me too. that me could too. help us be the be the thing that brings us back. Um, uh, you know, other shows that are are confirmed and will happen over the coming year. Some of them hadn't been announced yet. Uh, a lot of them, you know, Jerry Seinfeld will be back next year. We'll have. Um, uh, Straight No Chaser back. We have uh, Get the Loud as a big hit every year. The, the, the music stuff. Uh, we've got a big audience for the classic rock, especially. And the Broadway series um, will have all but one of the shows that we're going to play our 2021 season. We'll play our 21-22 season. And that one, Mean Girls, is going to get pushed out another year. But but uh, so we'll open with uh, Escape from Margaritaville in the fall, followed by The Band's Visit, which was, of course, the Tony Award Best Musical winner, uh, Anastasia, uh, The Prom. It's going to be a great, um, it's a season we can be proud of for sure. 
I'm looking forward to it. And I think a lot of our listeners are, um, thank you very much. That's an interesting story. I, I, I didn't know before researching this, how far it goes back and, and how much, um, history it really has. And I can't tell you, I remember when it was boarded up and, and so what you've done with the theater and what you've turned it into is fantastic. Um, and I agree with you hundred percent. I think people want to have a vibrant downtown area. It, it, I don't know who started it, whether it was bringing in some good restaurants, whether, whether it was a theater first, but the downtown area has really kind of been reimagined over the last five to six years. And, uh, I think you guys play a, a major part in that. I think the restaurants would say we do, uh, for sure. I feel badly for them right now. They're going through a hard time too. Yep. Yeah. Everybody, it sounds like they, they really are in that downtown area. Um, hopefully we're getting close to returning 50% capacity. Right? We're halfway there. Um, I, I don't think anybody knows what that timeline looks like, but we're looking forward to the day where we can return to the theater. Yeah, we are. Um, we are trying to be creative about what we can do in the meantime. Uh, one of the things we can do is outdoor theater, and we're going to do something that's new for us. We're going to do an outdoor free production of a Shakespeare uh, this summer on the Worcester Common. Okay. A full production of Julius Caesar, a 20-person fully professional cast from New York and Boston, uh, large-scale production, just similar to what Commonwealth Shakespeare does on the Boston Common every year. So it, it, it's... Um, It'll be a it'll be a challenge and something new for us, but we're ex- I'm really excited about it. Honestly, yeah. at this point, it'd just be exciting to get back to yeah. some normalcy and, and to bring some of the arts absolutely back into our community. Yeah, Troy, thank you so much for sharing your founder story today. Yeah, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, love you. Thank you for listening to the Founder Story Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And don't forget to check out some of the other great stories.